0: The Michelle Miao Show, your A through Z, covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao.
1: Welcome, 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 welcome. I'm Michelle Miao, your host, and welcome to Tuesday, uh, July twenty-six. Is it 20th or 26th? I believe, yes, it is the (laughs) 26th. I always get the dates mixed up because um, I never know what day it is. But anyway, I'm so excited. I woke up today just uh, so excited to be a Democrat, so proud to be a Democrat, so proud to be a woman, so proud to be engaged and to be active, you know, here in this country. Uh, John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us because it's Tuesday. John, thanks so much for being here.
0: Thanks, Michelle. Hello, everybody.
1: I should give everyone fair warning that uh, I am also in the control room running the board while we're producing this show um, when everyone else doesn't want to wake up to come to work and you uh, (laughs) produce your own show. That's just kind of what you have to do. You just got to figure it out. So, you know, if we drop some bombs here and there, forgive us. (laughs) (laughs) So, John, I opened up the show with being so excited. Uh, I woke up, like, you know, absolutely proud uh, to be a Democrat, and I say that um, I feel like, you know, because this election year has gotten so ugly, uh, even in within our own party, uh, I got to a place where, you know, I was very... I felt sluggish and I felt ashamed I felt like we weren't moving we weren't progressing we weren't doing a lot of stuff but you know last night the opening of the uh, Democratic National Convention and the speakers who spoke especially firstly, you know, uh, Michelle Obama Mm -hmm. I feel Invigorated I feel motivated. What about you?
0: Um, I think yesterday you saw the highs and the lows of, of a convention like this I mean during the day I mean, if you're like me, you're watching the streaming C-SPAN coverage or the CBS Now coverage and, uh, you know, there's the booing and, and the interruptions and such. But really, this is the time of a convention where people are getting those emotions out. They're either going through their final steps of withdrawal from their candidate or they're adjusting to the new reality. And, and so that but that was during the daytime. So a lot of people going into the evening were like, uh oh, is this going to continue? And um, from everything I've seen, the evening was, you know, a home run. I mean, it was not only Michelle Obama really blew people away. Um, and my favorite joke this morning that I've seen is that uh, Melania Trump is going to have an awesome speech at the 2020 <laughs> GOP convention. <laughs> but, um, you know, I mean, it was a night of real heavy hitters. Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and and uh, uh, Al Franken. And if you saw Al Franken in the this, the uh Uh, Sarah Silverman show. And I mean, it it was a big night. Uh, Cory Booker, I should mention too. I mean, it. Cory
1: Booker, who, you know, uh, had a very motivating speech, a powerful speech um, that played on the When We Rise, or I should say, We Will Rise. Um, you know, th- th- that being used and tossed around in several speeches in American history. Yeah. Um, you're right. It was it was it it, it did start out very dramatic. It, 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 it continues to be. And I completely have a lot of empathy as I myself. You know, I, I think a lot of us as Democrats are big Bernie Sanders fans, regardless of how you felt, you know, during the primaries of who should be our Democratic candidate for president. Um, we're all on the same team. We all want the same things.
0: And he's making that clear. He made that clear in his speech. He's been, uh, and we'll hear this from our, our guests a little later today, or later on this program, um, you know, he has been going to what, what happens during the daytime, especially like the breakfast meetings. You hear a lot of these, you know, the, the California delegation breakfast committee and or meeting, and similar to this morning. So he's been going to those and talking to, especially to his delegates, saying, you know, accept this Hillary Clinton is a nominee we have to we have to nominate and we have to get her into the White House we and I think his his he had kind of a rough meeting I guess with the California delegation well we can get into that later but the California delegations turning out to be one of the more raucous ones if you will um, and he said something like you know as difficult so this is a wild paraphrase as something as, as difficult as it might be for some of you to accept Hillary Clinton as as president uh, it, it would be even more difficult for you to, um, you know, explain to your children how you let Donald Trump become president.
1: And so uh, obviously, you know, Bernie Sanders also spoke last night and no. he he ended the evening. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, there were so many people who were moved, so many people who were emotional. Uh, and in fact, the cameras panned and focused on a few young uh, uh, supporters, uh, female supporters who were crying even, and, and it was very hard for his supporters to really accept that he was endorsing Hillary at the end of the evening. I, You know, a lot of questions that I'm hearing on the radio this morning, a lot of people are saying, um, will the Bernie Sanders supporters come together and turn out for Hillary Clinton in November? Um and, you know, at this point, I want to I want to say I think that I think that they will. But, but but then also I've heard many interviews in which people said that they will vote for Jill Stein, who's the you know Green Party candidate.
0: Um, yeah. So they want to vote for Donald Trump. They the uh, the polling shows, however, that something more than 90 percent of Trump's uh, excuse me, 90 percent of Bernie Sanders supporters are supporting or, or will vote for Hillary Clinton. So. You know, finding the, those 10 percent and especially right now when they're going through that last gasp and, and actually and, and as critical as I have been of this movement in some ways, um, I've been there, too. You know, I, and it was for different. I, back in 84, I thought, you know, Gary Hart was the he was a new, young, fresh look at the Democratic Party. Um, it, you know, I mean, people went through it in, in at, for different candidates. So I can understand that. So, yeah, you're going to find those folks. They don't represent the majority of the Bernie folks. And even some of that, so even if that, say, that 10% of Bernie Sanders supporters votes for Trump, Bill St- Jill Stein, or Gary Johnson and, and Bill Weld and the Libertarian Party, um, A, Hillary doesn't need that 10% to, to get over the top, especially because if, for example, they're really strong in California, she's going to win California easily. I mean, that, that's one of the safest states you can imagine for her um so she is able to and and we saw this in the vice presidential pick i'd be interested in in hearing we haven't talked Mm -hmm. since uh, we've got now two vice presidential picks yep and uh last night on my week-to-week program which folks will hear uh, later this week um our panelists were talking about the fact that well this was hillary clinton obviously saying okay i don't need to pick it's one of those things where it's not a denigration of any group that she didn't represent in her her uh her pick But it is a sign that she felt confident enough to say, "Okay, I need to reach out to those disaffected white voters, the lower middle class or the folks who have been left behind, because they're kind of maybe in the middle. They could go either way. They could go for Donald Trump because they've been feeling pain.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and that is where you have a lot of the commonality between some of the Trump folks and some of the Bernie Sanders folks. It's not that they have the same ideals on and same policies on, you know, abortion or whatever, but it's that a lot of them really see, you know, globalization as a threat to them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, um, and so I think Hillary is, you know, getting Tim Kaine, who again, policy-wise, not really what what the uh, the left wants, right. but. Um, Character wise, um, uh, accessibility wise, integrity wise is what she does kind of need to, you know, a Catholic Democrat who can go and talk to, um, you know, that the what they used to call during the Clinton, the first Clinton years, the Bubba vote. Mm
1: hmm. Mm hmm. Michelle Miao, John Zipper of Commonwealth Club, here on the Michelle Miao Show. You're tuning in to Progressive Voices. Uh, but uh, coming up, we do have some interviews. Uh, we'll have uh, some folks on the – well, I can't say at, at the actual floor. I don't know if they'll be on the floor, but they're – there at the Democratic National Convention, and we'll check in with, uh, John, you've got a special guest for us. Well, in
0: fact, yes, we'll be talking with Melissa Kane. She's a political analyst for CBS San Francisco, Gate. She's also a frequent panelist on Week to Week, a wonderful person. She would also been at the Republican Convention. So she is, I believe, she's literally on the floor, uh, or at least in the press gully, of the Democratic Convention, and she'll be able to uh, give us a sense of both what's happening in Philadelphia, as well as contrasted to what happened last week in uh, Cleveland.
1: Mm -hmm. And then in the second half of the show, we've got political activist Lane Hudson, Who I'm excited to to speak to, and he made some incredible points about what's occurring within the Democratic Party. Obviously, going into the DNC, it was released by WikiLeaks or uh, WikiLeaks, right? Yeah. Um, And and their whole team, in terms of these uh, emails, the email scandal, uh, that's what it continues to be. Um, And that the uh, DNC, the Democratic National Committee, actually had some bias uh, regarding. Um, who they wanted as their, you know, as the Democratic pick, and that was Clinton. And so we'll check in with him in terms of those points and, of of course, what's happening in Philadelphia. Uh, But first, John and I will debrief on all things that we think are important. And John has an important voice. I mean, he hosts his own show I know that you enjoy very much here on Fridays. It's the week-to-week political roundtable talk, and John is with the Commonwealth Club, which is the longest- running public affairs form in California, right? In
0: the world, literally.
1: In the world. Um, John, I wanted to, to, to break this down in terms of how we got to a place where Hillary Clinton all of a sudden um, has become un- unpopular with some in the Democratic Party or with us Democrats or liberal mm-hmm. people or progressive people. Uh, you know, this woman has had an extensive political career and starting at 16 years old, which I think I was, I, I, I mean, I don't even know if I was born. Well, yes, I think I was, <laughs> I was only a few years old, maybe. I don't really actually know how old she is. But the point is that <laughs> she's got a long, long, long political career. And from what I know with, with politics here in America, there's no way that you can have a perfect track record, meaning you're going to upset somebody somewhere, sometime along that path.
0: Certainly are going to, and she has been active enough and on some enough hot-button issues that she's managed to get enemies kind of across the board. And um, also, and this is why tonight will be very interesting to watch how Bill Clinton is received. Again, he's going to be received rapturously by the, the vast majority of people there, but again, by... Some of the, the Bernie Sanders folks, many of whom have have not been longtime participants in the Democratic Party. They don't know how this is working. They don't know, you know, OK, this is where you kind of start to shed those those uh, the passions and rally behind. They will, I think, by the end of the, the week. And as we're already seeing in the evenings, they're 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 getting there or they're being shouted down. But Bill Clinton, don't forget, he was the guy who he part of this movement, the Democratic leadership uh Conference, I think the C stood for DLC, um, who in the 80s and then in the 90s were talking about moving the Democratic Party from the left a bit more toward the center. So, um, and the argument was, look, if we're not in office, we can't do anything. And if we're in office, we can push progressive goals, but it's going, to, we have to know how government actually works. We can't just sit around, stamp our feet and, um, you know, expect it to happen. Um, so he, of course, got elected. Thanks to Ross Perot rent, pulling away some votes from George uh, Herbert Walker Bush, and uh, uh, you know served two full terms. Uh, uh, went down even with all the drama of the Clinton years. Still has gone down as one of the more popular. You know he, he's regularly listed as one of our more popular political figures today. Um, but so Hillary Clinton gets uh, some of the same uh, animus that some folks on the left had for Bill Clinton, which was hey. You know, we don't want you sitting down with Newt Gingrich and hashing out a deal to uh, curb welfare. We don't. You know, we, you're you're too hawkish on foreign policy and stuff like that. At the same time, and this is interesting, and in that we saw this actually during, uh, uh, sorry to to monopolize this, but I mean, we saw this during the 2008 primary campaign between Hillary and Barack Obama, and the Obama folks were saying Hillary is too polarizing. Sound familiar? She's too polarizing. She won't be able to work with Republicans. Mm-hmm. and, of course, they were counting on the fact that people weren't paying attention to the fact that Hillary does work with Republicans. Right. She got into office a, as a senator from New York, and would she could work across the aisle. She was working with people who helped impeach her husband, and I don't think it was just because she was still mad at Bill. I mean, <laughs> she's she knows how to do that. She knows you have to compromise in order mm-hmm. to get something out of it, and over all that time, you've still seen her, her priorities of women and children you know disadvantaged underprivileged mm-hmm. um, at home and abroad those are her issues so um, that makes some folks on the right who maybe are disagreeing with her on those issues and it makes it angry at her and it makes some folks on the left who think that she's compromised too much you know gotten too close to the Goldman Sachs and uh, others like that in order to be there and um the fact is, she is there after right. you know a, after all this time right. and she's she's earned it. She's got, you know it, uh, like her or dislike her, and listeners can like her or dislike her, you can be Republican or Democrat, but no one can say seriously, I think, that um, she's unqualified to be on the stage as a nominee and potential president of the United States.
1: Mhm. Um I agree with you. I agree with you. And if we stick on the uh, the policies, the policies that divide, say, Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton supporters, right? I mean, the, there are a few policies that um, I can bring up. Say, for example, you mentioned, you know, the fact that she's got a lot of uh, support with corporate America, yeah. big banks. Um, a lot of progressives want to move away from, you know, corporate dollars that impact elections and not yeah. just elections, but politicians and and and, of course, policies. I mean, the income inequality and uh, the gap is widening here in America. And I think a lot of young people are very, very, very concerned about that. So do you think that Hillary Clinton will address that specific issue? Issue or that that uh, that discussion as we, um, you know, even by Thursday. Do you think that that will be a in, in part of her speech?
0: I don't know if she's going to make that a part of her speech, but I'll bet they will address it through, you know, some of these other folks making uh, primetime speeches on her behalf. Like yesterday where, you know, uh, Michelle Obama was going out and she was making the case that, hey, you know, Hillary Clinton is sometimes seen as this un- Friendly, unwarm person. That's the character that's been built up or about her by her enemies. And Michelle Obama was changing that. Um, what she could, of course, do, and and this is that awkward thing of where you don't want to politicize the Clinton Foundation because that that is a separate thing. On the other hand, the Clinton Foundation is kind of in action. What uh, a lot of those ties can do, you know, they're taking millions and millions and millions of dollars from governments from corporations and they're using it to negotiate you know cheap drugs for people in Africa and they're using it to you know do these things that are genuinely helping millions of people so um, you know there's an argument there that she could really get into I don't think that's an argument however to make in your acceptance speech you know she's gonna rally people in her acceptance Mm. speech Um, and I suspect it's going to be a heck of a lot lighter and brighter. Than Donald Trump's doom and gloom speech from last Thursday.
1: Great, great point, and I wanna I wanna touch on that as well. The difference between the DNC and the RNC, and uh, hopefully we'll get to chat with Melissa Kane. But you know it's it's time. I think we should take a, a quick little break here. But okay. when we come back, we'll continue on with John John and I's thoughts regarding uh, the election, as well as um, we're hoping to catch up with Melissa Kane, who's there in Philly. So don't go away. Stay with us Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. This is a true story about two best friends who fell in love and moved across the country to the city by the bay. After many years of dating, Jen and Jacqueline are now planning their dream wedding. It's a big moment in everyone's life when you say, I do, especially when you can make choices for your authentic life and your loved ones too. Congratulations, Jen and Jacqueline. Live your authentic life. A special
3: message brought to you by Weatherford BMW.
0: And now, back to The Michelle Meow Show.
1: Welcome back. Thanks so much for joining us.
0: <laughs> Welcome back to your own show, Michelle. I know. I'm Michelle
1: Meow, your host. John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. And uh, we're just kind of breaking down our thoughts regarding the election as well as the uh, opening day of the Democratic National Convention, which today will be the second day. Um, and uh, I'm behind the scenes today as well as hosting the show. So if you're hearing a little bit of a lag, all that good stuff, that's because I'm rolling around trying to press buttons. <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. Sure. This is the whole thing about, you know, the, uh, the, the, the the part of America that I enjoy the most in which you have the opportunity to make your dreams come true. I still very much believe that coming from an immigrant family. And so when Michelle Obama spoke last night, and talked about how great this nation is, you know, I really got to a place where it almost felt like I was a little down to be American. um, To be honest with you, there was there was a lot of shame in it. That's coming off from, from all the horrible things that were happening, um, as well as the (laughs) Republican National Convention. I mean, I I certainly was depressed, and it really felt like, I mean, really? Americans are believing this guy who has no real plan if you listen to anything and everything he has to say even if you tuned in you know and gave uh 60 minutes uh, 10 minutes of you know of that show that they did with uh mike pence his vice president pick and uh and and trump nothing he said had any weight to it there 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 is no plan it's all just fear-mongering in my opinion
0: Yes. And I want to throw in there, so I'm sure we'll be talking more about the whole DNC uh, email thing, all the stuff that's coming out now about how the hackers apparently were from Russian intelligence agencies.
1: Oh, yeah, and that
0: (laughs) and that um, and uh, the, I saw some article, and I apologize. I don't remember where. I don't remember if it was Talking Points Memo or Politico or somewhere else, but it was talking about all the personal debt or business debt that uh, Donald Trump has with Russian lenders because he, of course, couldn't get loans anymore in the U.S. Um, so he's heavily in debt to Russia. He is promising things like, oh, NATO doesn't need to defend its eastern border with Russia. Russia is actively... Um, subverting governments in Central and Eastern Europe not just cyber spying like getting you know they they infiltrated the emails of uh, the entire German government basically Um, but have you know funding these right-wing populist movements so Donald Trump is exactly what Putin wants and so I think we're going to see some more of this I don't think Hillary Clinton's going to make that case again but um, I think others certainly will because that's that's scary Mm-hmm. To have to have uh, one of the major uh, political leader people up for an actual nominee for president of the United States, who um, basically is is the wish fulfillment of of a, an authoritarian leader in, in Moscow.
1: Mm. That is scary. That is scary. You know, I heard. Sorry, I'm
0: scaring you again. I'm sorry. You wanted to feel good about being American. I did.
1: I know. I Michelle up, Obama,
0: Michelle Obama, Michelle Obama. I woke up Obama. feeling
1: so positive. Uh, but, you know, in looking at the progress that we've made as a country, uh, you know, eight years ago, she's right. I was a, a lesbian, nonconforming, Asian-American woman who did not have, you know, as many rights and or acceptance as a an individual as I do today. Uh, eight years ago you know, most of my friends were living off unemployment checks. I mean, it starts getting scary. I mean, if you know one or two in your life who, you know, got laid off or whatnot, I mean, that's what unemployment is there for. But when it becomes like the core group of people you hang out with, you talk with, who have degrees, who went to, you know, who had great jobs, it starts to get really scary. And then not to mention that, you know, eight years ago, uh, lots of people were losing their homes. And this was across the entire nation. Meanwhile, you know, even, even all of that's going on, your president's only focused on the war on terror. And I just don't want to relive those years and i feel and i've just got a feeling because that's all donald trump has been leaning on in in uh, his campaign um that that would be his only focus and what economic plan does he actually have i haven't heard of it (laughs) Uh, even even fighting the war on terror when Mm -hmm. leslie stahl you know kind of went in at him, like, what does that mean? Does that mean more troops in Middle Eastern countries? Like, what does that actually mean? And he says, we're going to war. We're going to war. We're going to war. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but yeah, so there's lots to talk about here and what's at stake. And I, I don't want to be that, you know, uh, Democrat that wags my fingers in front of a lot of people's faces. And I get that there are a lot of people who are upset. Uh, but at the same time, my fear is that the media will spend... Uh, the spin, the fracture within the L- or not the LGBT. I'm sorry, I'm so used to saying that the Democratic community or the Democratic Party and our voters, in and kind of use that uh, against us that we are fractured, that we're we're not united. Um, but like you said, you know, this is where uh, t- typically or traditionally people get their feelings out right at the uh, the first or second day of the convention.
0: That that's a good point. Both how the people at the convention behave as well as then how the media reports it. And the media is, of course, looking for the news of the, not just the day, but of the hour. So the news of yesterday during the day, it really was, you know, these these raucous meetings and people being shouted down and and stuff like that. Um, The news of the evening was overwhelmingly positive for the Democrats. There was was a little bit of booing in there, but uh, overwhelmingly it was a success story. And um, if you remember just last week, there was another political convention, I forget the party, but uh, <laughs> but you know, I mean that went from you know Monday night the g o p ended it thinking what a success to within hours they were fielding uh complaints about plagiarism and and it became they became a joke second day it was either I think it was the second day then that Ted Cruz ended it getting loudly booed off stage um for essentially saying never trump <laughs> uh, yeah. he didn't say those words but he, he he said to vote your conscience and and that of course that's the the f- catchphrase if you will for the never trump movement <laughs> um and uh uh so it's it it it, but by the end of that week, sorry, I, I was dropping something here. By the end of that week, the you know Trump had his big speech, and though it's a speech that scared the bejeebers out of a lot of folks, it did what it needed to do for his audience. So therefore, by the end of the week, they were they left, and the press coverage was basically saying it was a successful convention. Mm-hmm it did what it needed to do for the people it needed to reach it was never going to reach out to centrist democrats and and the lgbt community and and stuff like that it was trying to nail down support among the people that it's been reaching all this time
1: now speaking of the rnc um in cleveland you know we didn't have a chance to talk about this and it's been talked about a lot but uh peter thiel the ebay founder, ebay Uh, PayPal uh, founder and also Facebook investor, Um, (laughs) you know, he spoke at the Republican National Convention. And then Donald Trump also mentioned the acronym LGBTQ and making a promise that he would take care of us. I don't really know what that means. But, um, you know, I, I I didn't buy it. I didn't buy it. It sounds like we've got Melissa, though, who's there in Philadelphia. Should we give her a call?
0: Yeah, why don't you give her a call, and uh, we'll have her on in a little bit. Um, we, uh, it was interesting because last night we had someone on my panel who is a Republican, who um, uh, was at the Republican convention working behind the scenes. He, he's a political consultant, and he was saying that um, – and he's he was on John Kasich's team, if you will – uh, so he's, he's not a hard right, he's not a Trumper, but he was saying, so he was there, he was on, at the convention floor, and he said when Peter Thiel was talking about how he was proud to be LGBTQ or whatever, uh, or whatever his exact words were, I don't remember, uh, he said there was loud, loud applause. He said it was accepted, you know, very happily, and that when Donald Trump stumbled across the whole LGBTQ thing, he said that also has met with really loud applause in, in the, in the uh, convention center. So... That's actually a good sense of how sometimes things appear differently on TV than on the convention floor and behind the scenes. And, of course, he's going to have different uh, expectations for it uh, there than someone sitting, uh, especially from the other party, sitting at home watching it on TV. So um, interesting to, to, to see. We'll see if that uh, plays out in any difference in how uh, the Republicans um, – of. Uh, uh, you know, a deal with LGBTQ issues. Um, and I think that's the case we've seen the Democrats immediately start talking about. And then just last night I noticed uh, some speakers were making that point that uh, it still really matters what you do, what policies you do. Uh, you know, is Donald Trump actually going to be pushing uh, marriage equality and other topics or is he going to be, well, he's going to be pushing Trump stakes and Trump uh, Trump uh, towers and things like So what it really kind of comes down to is, there's a lot of uh, a lot of noise being made at the conventions. So, Michelle, do we have uh, uh, our our caller on?
1: We do. I'm excited to announce that we've got Melissa Kane on the phone. Melissa, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me.
0: So, Melissa, are you literally on the floor, or are you at a nearby uh, location somewhere?
2: I'm nearby. They're actually doing some sound checks on the floor, so it's kind of loud right now. Okay. And they're going through sort of rehearsing some musical numbers for later, so it's uh, hard to hear it now.
0: <laughs> so I walked out to the side. <laughs> so the musical numbers, that'll be Bill Clinton's speech tonight, right? He's going to come out singing and dancing?
2: Uh, the new, well, Bill Clinton's speech and, of course, the actual final delegate count. I mean, tonight at 4 p.m., uh, 4.30 when they gavel in, the first order of business is to start counting the votes. So tonight we'll get the official nomination. And on Thursday, she sort of officially accepts the nomination. That's the dance we do at conventions, right? So, tonight, sure. you know, day two, they, they count the votes. They officially sort of request that she be the nominee. And on Thursday, she officially accepts. So the vote count tonight is uh, is going to be exciting. And then, um, on, uh, and then later tonight, yeah, Joe Clinton's going to speak. And I don't know about you, but I remember in 2012, uh, he gave... Uh, a very impassioned speech really made the case for reelecting uh, Barack Obama at that point and so a lot of people regarded that as the best speech of the Democratic Convention that year I thought and it was so, the best speech um, of the
0: entire campaign really honestly I mean honestly, it was a fantastic right? speech it was
2: he really, really um, methodically sort of went through a point mm. by point and, and, and made the case so you know we're uh, I think all excited to see if he'll be able to uh, to bring those chops there
0: on uh, on this election sure so obviously a lot of the talk yesterday was about all of the 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 bernie backlash throughout the day uh in the evening it kind of coalesced around some major speakers and such but what was it like to actually be there because watching it on tv uh, well yeah on tv or streaming it was like oh my gosh this this thing looked like it's about to roll off the rails but you've been at other conventions i mean was is this kind of normal sharp elbows coming to terms, or is something else going on there?
2: Well, so, uh, look, having a a small group of disaffected people is not unusual, right? In in, from the Republican side, we, of course, had the Ron Paul folks in 2012, and and even this year, um, you know, other never-Trump people at the Republican convention. What makes it more interesting here is that, you know, 46% of delegates are Sanders delegates. That's about almost 2,000 people in here who are Sanders delegates, and not all of them are screaming and chanting, um, but, you know, you can get a large number. Uh, in contrast, for example, Ron Paul, his folks were about, there about 200 uh, of, of his folks who were at the Republican convention and caused a bit of a disturbance. So the order of magnitude is a little bigger here than, than we've seen um, in, in other cases. Um, I can tell you it did not look like it was coming from a broad swath of Bernie supporters. Basically, because we, we award things proportionally, every state is give or take 50-50, Bernie supporters and Hillary supporters. So you have a split pretty much in all 50 states, but there were a couple of people, I have to say, the California delegation was definitely right there, (laughs) Um, a couple of states, Iowa, Maine, um, and uh, in California, Massachusetts as well, where the Bernie supporters were particularly loud.
0: You know, I I wanted to ask a bit about... um you were at the uh, Republican convention last week in uh, Cleveland, and now you're in, in Philadelphia at the Democrats. So, can you do some compare and contrasting? Are, are is it is the the feel and the operation of these mostly the same, or are there any differences that you find significant or interesting?
2: Oh, uh, well, logistically, just forget the parties. Like just in terms of sitting uh, on a convention, Cleveland was way more smooth. Philadelphia has been a bit of a mess, I have to be honest, mm-hmm. um, and part of it has to do with the fact that we're at a you know a, a, a center that is very far removed from uh, a downtown or a city area. In Cleveland, you sort of were in Cleveland, and you walked out the door outside of security with bars and restaurants, et cetera. Here, the perimeter is about a mile wide. You, uh, It's impossible to get in. It, literally, it changes every single day how you have to get in. <laughs> You're trying to get you know, people have cars or people taking taxis, you have no idea what entrance you can go in or you can't there's no food in here. Like I just can't begin to tell you like what a disaster <laughs> from a uh, logistical standpoint Philadelphia has been again, politics aside, Clean this is very smooth smooth and well well run convention. Sure. Um, that all that aside <laughs> um, there uh, you know it, it is interesting the the contrast because you've got two nominees who are really well-known, right? You've got people who, you know, in the room that feel very strongly uh, against uh, against their own candidates, right? <laughs> so, um, so that's been interesting. But here's the thing. On the Republican side, when the Cruz people started chanting and cheering and making noise, they were immediately swarmed by these sort of security guys. Right. And they're not—they weren't police, but they were just sort of designated— you know, shushers basically, who would sort of swarm them and call and quiet them down and sit them down. Um, that has not been the case at the Democratic one. Uh, you, people can stand up and yell and scream, and there's really no repercussions for that. They're not. No. There, there are people out here in yellow vests you might have seen wandering around, but they don't appear to be doing anything um, when these when people break out. And it's not just the Bernie people. There were some anti Elizabeth Warren. Folks here as well. They were screaming really loudly and really they you just they just kind of let them go till they tire out. They really did not really deal with it. Okay. In uh, any anyway, and and again maybe that's just reflecting different you know issues with you know power dynamics et cetera. But yeah. um, but the the fact that the the Republican one was run in a in a more sort of streamlined sort of top-down way, the Democratic one. The reason you're hearing so much Bernie screaming is because you can't, yeah. right? Trump's like, oh, they're falling apart. It's like, you know what? The, the Cruz table might have gone on longer, too, if you hadn't formed them. You know? yeah. So, right. so they, they have a little, a little more leeway sure. here. Well, um, and, the,
0: yeah. I was just going to say, one more question, because we have to go to our next guest soon. Um, but my one time at a national convention was covering the Republican convention in New Orleans in 1988. And uh, I remember being at some press conference and because I got there late, I was like stuffed up by the door near the stage and in walks in George Herbert Walker Bush. I think Dan (laughs) Quayle and two feet away from me and he stood there the whole time was Donald Trump. So just quickly, who are some of the big names you've seen there Maybe surprising people or people you wouldn't you think, oh, they come to political conventions.
2: Well, there's definitely been some celebrity sightings here. Susan Sarandon is been here. Um, Eva Longoria. we saw um Rosie Perez. Elizabeth Banks is here today, uh, and in addition to Demi Lovato and the other musical guests. So, uh, yeah, I mean, of course, the Democrats have the benefit of uh, of having a, a large celebrity constituency to to draw on. Um, nerdy, nerdy celebrities, the like people I love uh, are i've this morning, I like, Totally fangirled um, Frank Luntz, who is a (laughs) focus for CBS. He does a focus group. Oh, yeah. I was like, and and it's it's weird because it's really tacky to do that in, like, the media hall. Everyone's supposed to be cool in there. (laughs) It's supposed to be, like, a safe space for famous people. And I was like, this is so tacky, but I have to say, (laughs) I have to say, I really love the work you do. Uh, So there's a lot of, like, nerd celebrities. Like I saw David Brooks the other day in the hallway. Uh, you know, Carl Rove was here. I don't know why. I assume he was doing interviews for uh, for Fox and, and, and or some other conservative station. But sure. there's a lot of um, sort of you know political media celebrities here um, that I've been trying to be cool about, but I've not. Been
0: successful
2: entirely. So that those are the other celebrities that that you get to see
0: here. Well, very good. Folks can follow Melissa Kane's uh, reporting both if they're in the Bay Area. They can follow it on CBS San Francisco and uh, on Facebook. Follow Melissa Kane as well as the uh, KPIX CBS San Francisco uh, Facebook channel, and you'll see lots of her coverage, including uh, live Q and A's with folks. So thank you very much for joining us, Melissa.
2: Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it.
1: All right. So um, thanks so much, John, for handling that. Um, uh, just a quick promo here reminding you that you're tuning in to Progressive Voices, and we'll have Lane Hudson up next.
3: Thanks for listening to the Progressive Voices Network, streaming the best in Progressive Talk 24-7. Keep the progressive conversation going on by joining our community. Each week, we send out an email that covers important things taking place in the Progressive Voices Network and throughout the progressive world. Be the first to know of upcoming shows, schedule changes, exclusive programming, and more. Simply go to ProgressiveVoices.com and sign up for our mailing list. It's that easy. ProgressiveVoices.com. Thanks for listening and thanks for joining the Progressive Voices community.
0: And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show.
1: Welcome back! Thanks so much for joining me. <laughs> I'm Michelle Miel, your host. This is fun. It's like musical chairs, and uh, this is this <laughs> is giving me a lot of practice to be what do you call that? Multitaskful.
0: Multitasking, yeah. You know?
1: John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us, and uh, I'm very happy to announce that on the phone we have our special guest Lane Hudson, who's a political activist, a blogger. And, uh, and I, could, I could say, you know, a good friend, because he's my Facebook friend. Lane, thanks so much for <laughs> joining us today.
4: Uh, I'm glad to join you, Michelle. Thanks for having me. It's been um, a so week here in, uh, in Philadelphia.
1: I know, I it. know, I know. It's super, super exciting. Um, you're there in Philadelphia for the Democratic National Convention. You're covering it. Um, and uh, I believe it's loud because you're actually on the floor.
4: No, I'm not on the floor. I'm in the convention center. And actually just left the LGBT caucus. And the state treasurer of Massachusetts walking by. We've got, like, amazing representat- representation here.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So to give, give us a bit of a sense of what happens in those types of meetings. What, what is the LGBT caucus talking about? What are their top issues there? And What do they, what do they hope to get out of this convention?
4: Um, well, the, the caucus meetings are a chance for the openly LGBT caucus members and allies to kind of come together and meet and hear from special guests. So... Uh, We heard from Congressman Mike Honda. I was there briefly because I've been Mm -hmm. juggling multiple events. Um, And Congressman Mike Honda talked about his transgender grandchild and gave a very personal testament to learning about um, the gender spectrum from his political friends who have supported him in the transgender community um, and through the experience of having a transgender granddaughter. It was a very moving testimony. And uh, then Mara Healy, who's the openly lesbian state treasurer of Massachusetts came on, and she gave a really rousing speech about how the Democratic Party has historically been the party of um, inclusion and opportunity and how Hillary Clinton has done an amazing job to carry on that tradition and help move it forward. And um, just in general, there's lots of good energy here, and folks are really excited about um, the convention Mm -hmm. after a... After a slightly
1: rocky start. <laughs> yeah, let's touch on that rocky start. I mean, you made some incredible points on uh, on a post that you did regarding uh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who is the former, I should say, uh, DNC chair, and this whole discussion uh, that has contributed to what we uh, the media is calling a fractured Democratic Party and the whole email situation. Talk to us about, you know, to, or, or help us clear up, some myths or misconceptions if people are still stuck on the whole email situation and the DNC?
4: Um, So, you know, at conventions things move so quickly. So let me just move um, through a couple misconceptions to clear it up for folks. The the biggest one that I've heard people saying is that Hillary hired um, Debbie Wasserman Schultz to run her campaign. Um, That is absolutely not the truth and I understand how it could be easy for people to think that because um, she was given an honorary title as um, honorary chair of the 50-state strategy for Hillary's campaign. It's not a staff position. And, you know, my understanding is that um, it was just something that was offered as a token to Debbie for, you know, in the sake of party unity, stepping down as DNC chair. Um, another misconception, you know, more specifically to the emails is that the DNC was not intervening in the primary campaign at all. M- my personal take is, after reading the emails, is, you know, after a sustained um, criticism from Bernie Sanders and his campaign at the DNC, um, you know, these are actual human beings that, you know, work in these organizations, and while it's easy to paint a broad brush with someone like the Democratic Party or the DNC, we always have to remember that there are human beings behind um, those organizations that take things personally and it hurts them. And the emails, to me, indicate a frustration. Mm -hmm. And there's no evidence in the emails whatsoever that the DNC took any actions. Um, So those are the two biggest misconceptions that, that I wanted to kind of Make sure that people understood um, because I know in the age of social media, things can spread so quickly
0: I think those um, are, I think those are good points, and I, I think probably before the end of time, we're all going to have our email uh, accounts hacked sooner or later and, and hopefully not by Russia, but um, oh, we already have gosh well exactly I, mean, I don't even but, know how I would know, but just I mean no one is going to, to Come off as if they've never insulted somebody in an email or written something negative about someone else. I mean, like you said, we're we're human. That's one of the ways we do it, and it certainly was awful timing. But for heaven's sakes, they're ultimately, to me, the story is who hacked it and why. Um, yeah,
4: I, I mean that that's an you're totally right. And some people say it's a distraction to point this out. And let me give a little bit bigger picture of why who hacked it. And why is important, mm-hmm. and and why Robbie Mook um, decided to go on to CNN and ABC and tell the world that it was Russians who hacked the DNC's email and stole their emails, and this was reported, you know, not this was reported several months ago when the hack actually occurred, and it wasn't a part of Hillary's campaign at all at the time, mm-hmm. but the folks who looked at it, the experts said that the signature of the hack had a Russian IP address and that it had all the hallmarks of a Russian state um, hacker signature. I, I'm not well-versed in these terms and stuff, but before the emails were given to WikiLeaks and then released on the convention starting, we already had evidence and experts saying that it was a hack done by Russian state actors. So this wasn't something that was just invented by Ravi Mook. Um, right before the convention started he was just saying what the experts had already said and and there's a larger narrative here and the reason why it's really important is because Donald Trump has expressed very admirable views of Vladimir Putin and other kind of um, leaders around the world past and present who are dictators (laughs) and who consolidate power and kind of diminish or destroy democracy and He has senior people in his campaign who have very close ties to the Russian government. He made changes to the Republican platform to make it very pro-Russian. And he said publicly that he would not live up to our responsibility to NATO if Russia attacked one of the former uh, Soviet republics that are now a part of NATO. Right these are all very very serious things and we need to look at the whole russian subplot here as a whole and that's what's really important
0: and do you think people will bring that up this week in any speeches or they'll leave that to kind of be pushed during you know explored more during the campaign
4: i'm i'm not entirely sure i think that it'll be explored more throughout the campaign i I don't know that there's going to be a whole lot more about the national security issue. And I'm not sure that the campaign wants to delve too deeply into it. Yeah. Um, this week is about unity and you know, helping you know, Bernie Sanders supporters feel like they've been heard and that many of their concerns have been addressed and putting forth a positive vision for the country. Um, and stark contrast to what we saw last week in Cleveland. And so I'm sure that we'll get deeper into the Russian issue um, as the campaign unfolds mm-hmm. and when we're, like, with audiences that will understand it more and when the media decides that they'll actually decide to look at a bigger picture instead of, you know, just a quick story of the day that flames division and, you know, plays on the distrust of others.
0: Sure. Well, so you're, you're there in, in the belly of the beast, as they say. Um, you must be talking with lots of Bernie Sanders supporters. Are they as as adamant and 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 unmoving as as you know the coverage made it look yesterday, especially during the daytime? Or are you you seeing a lot more nuance and, and humanity behind it?
4: Um, well, I'll tell you, this is this is my fifth convention, oh. and I've seen a, a lot of things happen um, over time, and. What, what I've observed here has been a little bit different from prior conventions. And part of the reason is that Bernie has brought a lot of new people into this process. And many, many of the folks who were involved in this campaign, it was their first campaign they've ever been involved in. And this is their first convention they've ever been to. And over the course of the campaign, there was a lot of distrust zone about the Democratic Party. And so this is kind of like a crash education for a lot of folks. Yeah. Um, this is no longer, you know, just standing on a street corner trying to get someone to vote for, for you and, you know, the, the 57 contests we had, the primaries and caucuses in the 50 states and the seven territories in, in D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, you know, kind of a carefully scripted event in, in many ways. And lots of people who want to be a part of this process can't because they're not delegates or Bernie isn't able to include you know the thousands of people that are on the streets um, coming into the commission so the folks that I've spoken to that I've talked to in the convention hall and such universally first of all it's their first convention yeah and I can understand their disappointment because I remember my first campaign that I was super involved in and when we lost it was like an intensely personal loss and it was hard for me to process and understand and I speak to you now from I've been you know involved in politics now for almost 30 years right. I mean since I was eight years old I've been been involved in politics so so I think even in the course of this week that the folks that are delegates are, are learning like that it's super important to kind of take the wins where they got them because make no mistake Bernie had a very successful campaign. And I don't mean to be condescending in saying this in any way, but he did far better, I mean he says this himself, he did far better in the campaign than anyone thought he would. Mm -hmm. And he's piled up significant victories. He won a lot of states. He won a lot of delegates. He got more representatives on standing committees at the Democratic Convention than any prior challenger who didn't win the nomination. Um, he got significant concessions from Hillary and her own proposals. He got significant concessions in the platform. And he got significant concessions in the rules, um, including a commission that may com- nearly completely do away with the superdelegates. So if I were a Bernie delegate, I would see that as being enormously successful at everything that Bernie said he wanted to do mm-hmm. leading up to and during the convention has been accomplished.
1: Mm-hmm. And
4: I think that's, something to be enormously proud of. And and I hope that folks are. And I think that increasingly the brain delegates are understanding that because many of the folks that they looked up to throughout the campaign who understand the larger picture of defeating Trump have been making the case. Yesterday, the speakers were largely folks speaking to burning supporters um, and trying to make the case that, you know, the, the very simple presentation was between Al Franken and Sarah Silverman, two right. comedians who were on either side of the primary campaign, and, and they talked about it, and then Paul Simon saying Bridge Over Troubled Water. So um, I think by the end of the night, almost everyone was kind of understanding the importance of it, but there still are a handful of vocal people who just were not having any of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure that we'll win over all of those folks, and, and that's okay.
0: Yeah. Right. So... Give us a sense now, let's look forward to through the rest of this convention, what are some of the high points? What are you either excited about or really kind of anxious to watch it happen and take place? I mean, later today, for example, there will be the roll call. Is that is that when you're actually there on the floor, is that exciting or is that all just mind-numbing going through the steps? What are you looking forward to? Well, you know, my...
4: Other than my mother kind of cultivating an interest in politics, mm-hmm. the, the moment that I remember most about getting so excited about politics was watching the roll call of delegates when Michael Dukakis was running for president. Mm-hmm. And I was a kid, and I had no idea that there were primaries and caucuses that had already determined this outcome. Yeah. So I watched the roll call and was cheering on Michael Dukakis. And, you know, oh, yeah. they voted for him. Oh, they didn't. And I didn't know what the outcome was. And When he won, I was just so excited. <laughs> so... I've always had an affinity for the roll call Yeah. and I know in recent history, there's been kind of this desire to have unity and unanimity on the roll call. Yeah. And I don't think that's necessary because people worked really hard in their campaigns and, you know, delegates were elected and I think they fully deserved the right to cast those votes for it. Um, I don't see it as anything that's divisive. I see it just as people ca- casting the votes on um, the way they're supposed to be cast. Yeah. And, um, there's no reason for it to be divisive, and I hope it's not. One, one thing to consider in how it plays out is that delegates for each campaign are not kind of separated, separated out. We're separated by state. And so in any given state, you've got Bernie delegates and Hillary delegates. Mm-hmm. So you have, you have that dynamic, and it, it lends itself to more civility. Um, so like last night when you had some, some of the Bernie delegates being, um, you know, interrupting and, and stuff like that, you had their fellow delegates from their home state who were trying to have them not interrupt the proceedings. So so that plays out in a way that maybe people don't understand it. Yeah. Um, so when the roll call of delegates happens, you know, whoever their delegation chairman is, is the one who announces, um, the delegates and, and usually like. You know, other delegates throughout the hall will cheer when you know votes are announced for one candidate or the other. So it, it'll take a while. It, it's something that doesn't happen quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it should be just fine. Mm-hmm. I hope it is. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. We got one last question for you, Lane, and I, and uh, I know we should let you go to experience the exciting time in Philadelphia. I um, woke up today feeling, you know, just uh, just. Uh, Plainly put, a very proud Democrat um, just by the speeches that were given last night by First Lady Michelle Obama, by Cory Booker, by, I mean, just just about everyone. Um, Kind of, I know that today Bill Clinton is set to speak, Uh, you've, like you said, have been in politics for a long time, have worked in the, uh, uh, with Bill, you know, when he was president. I mean, what are your thoughts in terms of what he might address and what he will say?
4: Well, listen, I've never been more proud to be a Democrat. I've watched this party become a true progressive party um, in the spirit of FDR and you know, providing opportunity and inclusion for all. It's been really staggering the progress that I've seen in the past 10 years even and what this party's become and, and our prospects for winning the White House and winning at least one House of Congress, maybe two on what is the most progressive agenda that the Democratic Party has ever had. And last night, we saw more diversity on the stage in 10 minutes than we saw the entire Republican convention. And, you know, I, like most Democrats, believe that there's so much strength in and diversity and learning from each other. And we're going to see a lot more of it this week. I was just at the LGBT caucus, which we talked about, there are 28 openly transgender delegates at the Democratic Convention. Wow. That's 10 more than African American delegates at the Republican Convention. <laughs> and you know, I don't know the number of African American delegates here, but I, you know, I would say it's in the high hundreds, if, if not more than a thousand. Um, and that just tells me that we are absolutely the party of the future. And And we've got so much going for us and so much positivity. And Hillary talks about love and kindness and doing all the good you can for as many people as you can for as long as you can. And for me, that sums up the ethos of her campaign and what the Democratic Party is about. And I think that's something we can all be proud of.
1: Lane, thank you so much for joining us and for reporting for us there in Philly. Have a great time, and uh, thank you so much.
4: Thanks, guys. Y'all have a great
1: day. Uh, thank you so much for joining us here on this beautiful Tuesday, July 26. Again, it's okay to feel proud to be a Democrat or a progressive. I think that you're headed in the right direction. Uh, and, uh, you know, and again we all want the same things, I think, you know, and there are some policies or positions on policies that I feel like, you know, continue doing the work, continue doing the dialogue. You know, John, something I learned from you, and it's so true. I mean, even if you're a Bernie Sanders supporter, and you are will not be motivated to to vote for um, Hillary Clinton, continue being engaged. I mean, we still have to fight, you know, locally and statewide. And of course, we have to consider, you know, who's controlling the House and the Senate as well.
0: Exactly. I mean, the, if you're interested, you know, a lot, a lot of times when people are talking about the presidential candidate, they'll be talking about, hey, don't forget, possibly three Supreme Court picks. But if you've got Hillary Clinton, but a Republican Senate, well, we can, we've we seen what the Republican Senate can do when they want to deep six a, a, a Supreme Court nomination. Mm-hmm. They can just say, eh, mm-hmm. not listening. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Pay attention to two things. I mean, that's you know, if uh, as as weird uh, as raucous as as you know, sometimes upsetting even that that these conventions can be. They're 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 really good examples of this is how politics works. This is people kind of working things out live, <laughs> right. <laughs> right there in front of TV or in front of the all day streaming on C-SPAN. And I say this both for the Republicans last week and the Democrats this time. Sometimes it's not pretty. But it is important, and those people who are there, they're not just there for Ted Cruz, Donald Trump, or Bernie, or Hillary. I mean, they are there because, you really get this during a lot of the speeches mm-hmm. that are coming up. Mm-hmm. Here's someone who's running for Senate. You know, a young uh, Barack Obama, <laughs> you right. remember? You know, that kind of thing. So it's it's fun to see both how the parties work, how people work, mm-hmm. and then it's on to the general election. And that's, that's hopefully fun and not uh, terrible dirge that's going to make you feel bad about being american again
1: (laughs) john i want to thank you for being here with us and helping us through the uh the the conversation and our discussion about the democratic national convention and the election uh folks just a reminder john zipper hosts his own week-to-week political roundtable talk that airs here on the michelle meow show Fridays, four o'clock pacific standard time so tune in to progressive voices